Let's pray together. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Lord, we choose today, we make that decision today to choose you and to follow after you. Lord, we pray for your blessing during this time. And as you transition to the message, may the words of my mouth, the word of life, of your words, may be pleasing in your sight, O God. And may the meditations of our hearts also be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For Lord, we declare today, and not just today, but until we take our final breath, you alone are deserving of our everything. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak to us, Lord, for we are hungry and thirsty and desperate for your touch and for your encounter. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Last week, the message was called, uh, My Help. And today, we're going to continue on. And it's not a series where we're going to continue on with First Kings. But I want to end it with this version of the message. Last week, the main passage was found in First Kings chapter 18, and which led to chapter 19. And we didn't get to finish 19. So just to refresh your memory, if you go back to last week, we ended with verse 14. And in verse 14, it says, He replied, this is Elijah speaking, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And if you just go back and read in the passage, this is where the Lord speaks to Elijah and encourages Elijah through a gentle whisper. Not through the earthquake, not through the wind, not through the fire, but through the gentle whisper of God. And the lesson that we learned was that even though we may go to big events, retreats, missions, God speaks to us in a gentle manner, in a humble manner. When we are alone, when we are broken, when we are hopeless, the Lord speaks to us and the Lord encourages us and He strengthens us. My help. Now, today, we're going to transition now to the title called Victory After Defeat. I didn't want to end with verse 14, where Elijah is continually complaining to God, saying that I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. But now let's talk about the victory that God brings in this story. How God doesn't leave you alone by yourself to fight this good fight, but he brings a village. He brings a community 
to help one another. And you'll see that it was one against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, so 850 verse 1 in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Now you'll see 7,000 plus three main characters here who's going to come into play, and God will raise this next generation up to go and destroy, completely annihilate Baal worship. So let's begin with our main passage here today. Let's all turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's begin with verse 15 and end it in verse 21. Let us begin. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve... 7,000 in Israel. i say it again. 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not, two things here, very important detail, have not bowed down, that's number one, to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed, that's number two, kissed him, which is Baal. Going to verse 19, the title is The Call of Elijah. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Few descriptions here. We see that Elisha is a good shepherd. He's a good caretaker of animals. Remember Saul? He was lost looking for those donkeys. He didn't even know who Samuel was, the man of God of Israel at that time. But we see here Elisha is a man with different type of character. He is good with animals. He is a good caretaker, just like Many good leaders in the Bible were shepherds, were good caretakers of animals. We see him working with animals here, plowing and working in the field. And the description here of him putting his cloak on Elijah is him giving the baton, his anointing, the anointing of God. He is anointing Elijah to be the next prophet to come and take over his position, just as the Lord declared earlier in the verses. So let's continue. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Verse 21, so Elijah left them and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant Amen and amen. Now, through these three men, God brings victory in the land of Israel. 
through these three men, they will annihilate Baal worship. So what the Lord began with Elijah by himself, not Elijah, Elijah by himself, now the Lord will complete his mission of destroying pagan worship with these three men, Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha. Elisha commissions not Jehu and Hazel, but he commissions Elisha only. And later, Elisha will be the one to commission Hazel and Jehu and the 7,000 people in Israel who have not, what, two things, who have not bowed to Baal and who have not kissed Baal in pagan worship, meaning who have not given their hearts to idols, who are true worshipers, who are true believers, who are faithful to the one and true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And they will be the ones who will come and complete the task that Elijah started, that the Lord started through Elijah. So starting with point number one, victory in Christ is, was, and will always be by grace alone. Say it again. Victory in Christ is, was, and will always be by grace alone. Amen and amen. It is not our own doing, but it is in Christ, and it is by grace alone. Many of you think that you're here because you're somewhat special, because you give extra offering, because you don't lie, and you pride yourself in being a good individual. But God uses you, and God has chosen you simply by grace, and grace alone. Grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be matched. You cannot outwork grace, for grace is beyond. We're just a speck of dust compared to grace. Grace is given by God. It is a free gift that the Lord has given us. And Elijah here is shown grace. Elisha here is shown grace. Hazel here is shown grace. Jehu here is shown grace. The 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed to Baal, who have not kissed Baal in worship, is all because of the grace of God. And I'm going to keep repeating this passage over and over and over again until you guys have it etched into your heart and into your memory. Ephesians 2. We all know this passage. 8 through 9. What does it say? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift. Don't forget it is by grace that we are saved. It is through faith. It is by grace alone. But at the same time, our church, we don't just stick with 8 and 9. We always complete it with verse 10. It says, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. He created us even before time began to do the good work that he created for us to do. But we're not here to focus on the works. It starts with grace. And it continues with grace, and it ends with grace. And it is within grace we work. We are his workmanship to do the work that Christ called us to do.
It is by grace that you're able to play the drums. It is by grace that we're up here playing the instruments, singing the songs. It is by grace that we're able to serve in the committee heads, in our positions with church. It is by grace that we're able to give to God what is already his. Not ours, but it is his. We are his stewards. We're his managers. It is by grace that you're able to pass the exams. You're able to graduate college. You're able to pay for college with the tuition. You're able to have the family that you have, with the relationships that you have, with the support that you have, with the community that you have. It is by grace alone. Nothing else. It is in Christ and it is by grace alone and will always be that fact, the truth, till the end of times. That will never change. You could feel a certain way. You could choose to not forgive yourself. But you can forgive yourself for you have been forgiven by God. And it is because of his death and his resurrection that we are able to tap in this into this free gift of grace that has been bestowed upon us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is not anything you have done. It is not because you're beautiful or you have big eyes or how tall you are, how handsome you are. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen and amen. Through. Quickly, the sub points here. Through what? A grace, B, faith, C, humility, D, weaknesses, E, persecutions, F, difficulties, and G, insults. Grace, faith, humility, weaknesses, persecutions, difficulties, and insults. And where am I getting C, D, E, F, and G from? A, B, obviously we got it from Ephesians 2. But where am I getting the rest of the five? C, D, E, F, and G. It's found in the next scripture. Let's all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. The greatest apostle, one of the greatest apostles, a missionary for God. Saul, who turned, changed his name. God gave him a new name to Paul, who lived the rest of his life serving the Lord with a powerful testimony where he was there in the book of Acts or the first killing of the first martyr of Stephen, where he was there and he was part of the crowd that murdered the first Christian the powerful testimony of the road to Damascus, Paul, who is transformed and changed, who does an amazing work for the gospel, who loves the Lord and the Lord loves him, and his life is transformed upside down, 180 degree. And we see Paul here declaring in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, he's talking about Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. I'll say it again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Victory in Christ is, was, and will always be by grace alone. It is through grace, it is through faith, it is through humility, it is through weaknesses, it is through persecutions, it is through difficulties, and it is through insults. There cannot be victory if there is never a defeat. Just like you cannot have shadows without the light. There is a moment of relief, of victory, of what it means to be victorious in Christ because we understand what it means to lose, what it means to be defeated. If you've never failed in your life and you never was a failure, it came to a point where you felt defeated and hopeless, then Christianity is not for us because you have it all figured out. You're strong and mighty and you don't need anything else. You could do the checklist. Hopefully, possibly, maybe God will take me with all the good deeds that I have done. Maybe. You could try, but you will not make it. It is an impossible task. It is only when we lose. It is only when we have been defeated. It is only when we have tasted hopelessness beyond hopelessness then we understand his grace. I cannot do it myself. It is not by my own strength. It is by grace and by grace alone. When I am weak, then I am strong. Romans 3, 23, 26 title says righteousness through faith it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely free again why is it free because it's a gift freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith so point letter B, faith. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justified those who have what? Faith in Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus and him alone? Do you understand that it is by grace that you are here today? It is by grace, Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha, they were chosen in 1 Kings 19. It is by grace that the 7,000 people of faith who have not bowed down and kissed Baal, they were chosen. Whether we are part of that main name 
or were part of that ambiguous number of 7,000 within that number. You could be number five, seven, hundred, six thousand, doesn't matter. It is by grace. It is a gift. And at the end of the day, it's not a competition. For God says he will use accordingly each part for his glory. Whether he uses me for a toe or even a little pinky or even a little part of the eyelash, even though it's not considered the main body, within the body there are a bunch of things or the dead skin. It is by grace and by grace alone. It is by grace and by grace alone. Elijah, in verse 14, before verse 15, where he ends with, I'm all alone. I've been very zealous, and they're trying to kill me too. We see in verse 15, a transition here happening. Meaning God is reminding Elijah that you are not alone. You think that you're alone, but there are believers all around the kingdom who are undergoing the same trials as you are going. Don't have that victim mentality where you're the only one going through the hard time, where my situation is bigger than everyone else. We're all in the same boat of life. Whether we grew up in a broken home or in a rich family, at the end of the day, we are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and we cannot compare ourselves, for we can only compare ourselves to God. And before his eyes, we are ashes to ashes and dust to dust. One can jump higher and you could claim that you're better, but at the end of the day, God will have the final laugh. For death will equalize us all. For we are all the same. Whether you could speak five languages, three languages, only one. Whether you're literate or you're illiterate, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when we're in the grave, we're done. There are no second chances. God was reminding Elijah, listen, you're not the only one in this fight. You're not all alone. In fact, there's 7,000 plus strong people that I'm going to appoint and I'm going to use in destroying this pagan worship here. And we see the power of God working. And we see the humility of Elijah working. The fact that Elijah gave his cloak to Elisha. He's like, I don't want to give you my coat. Imagine he didn't want to give it. But Elijah understood that this was bigger than himself. And he got out of that mentality, the victim mentality. And he got up. And we see the anointing, the appointing of Elisha the next prophet. And Elijah then in turn, he appoints the other two men. It is by grace and by grace alone. Verse 15 to 18. Actually, before we do that, Let's go to 1 Kings 19, 10 and 14. It's literally the same thing, same phrase. But 
it's up there for you uh, just to follow. But let me just read it one time because it's literally the same thing. It's found twice, 10 and 14, verse 10 and 14. So it's your job to guess which one I'm reading. Is it 14 or 10? If you get it wrong, you got to do push-ups. No, I'm kidding. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And how does God transition this? He transitions it quick. He doesn't say, oh, no, really? Oh, and he doesn't linger. Oh, here, let me help you. Oh, here. God already did enough. He already fed him. He allowed him to sleep. Now it's time to get up. And we continue to act childish in front of God. There comes a time where God says, you got to get up. It's time now. It's time. And you need to have the wisdom and the conviction to understand it is time. For I cannot live the same way as I used to two years ago, three years ago, like a child. When I say child, I'm talking about childish, not childlike. We should always be childlike. But God, he transitions it quick. What does it say in verse 15? The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And now go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abed-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This story here is so powerful that Paul, the apostle Paul, saw to Paul, we hear him referencing it again in Romans 11. And in Romans 11, verse 1 through 6, the title is Remnant of Israel. Paul says, I ask then that God reject his people by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject this people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? He's referencing here what we just read, 1 Kings chapter 19. Do you now know the story? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen. Remnant are the people who are left over, the chosen ones. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace will no longer be grace. So understand this. It is by grace alone. Victory comes by grace alone, not by your own works or by your own doing. It is by grace and grace alone. Amen? All right, leading to point number two. Who you bow to matters. Who you bow to matters. True victory is found in who we bow to. 
In North Korea, people bowing down to their leaders, the statues as many quote-unquote gods. Japan, back in the day, bowing down to the emperor, considering him to be a walking human god, quote-unquote god, lowercase g, god. And bowing is a symbol, and we understand. For those who are Asians, we understand that it's a symbol of respect, of honor, and of humility. And for me, as a Korean-American growing up at church, at a young age, my father taught me to bow down to adults and to say hello to each adult at church, whether you liked them or didn't like them, especially, specifically to, quote-unquote, the enemies. However, I'm not talking here today about earthly bowing or worldly bowing. I'm talking about a spiritual language, a lifestyle of worship, of your allegiance to who? I'm talking about your allegiance, your worship. Our worship, is it to the true king? Is it to the true God? Or is it to the world? Is it to sin? Is it to your friendships? Is it to your idols? Which one? Who do you bow down to? Spiritually speaking. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, we assume it's three Magi, we don't know, it doesn't give us a number. We assume three because of, there are three gifts, but we could be many. It could be hundreds, it could be twenties. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These people truly came to worship, to bow down to the king. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That is the word of genuine worship, of true, truly bowing down to the true king. Let's continue. Let's go to verse 7 through 11, Matthew 2. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. When you read that verse, you would think, oh, good. Herod is curious too. He wants to go and worship the king also. But that is not the case. And there are some clues here secretly. Not out in the open. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. For that was true worship. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we see later, Herod, we see his crooked heart. He had no intention of bowing down to the king of kings, to the Lord of lords. In fact, he had bowed down to Satan himself, for he was against the things of God. So the question that I want to ask you is, to whom are you, are you, are we loyal to? To whom are we faithful to? Do we pretend we come to church, we're like Herod? We look good on the outside, like the Pharisees. We're like a white stone, grave stone, clean on the outside, but inside filled with dead bones. 
ashes, and dust. But outside we act as if we have it all together. Or are we like these magis who bring, who brought forth gifts with them? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh as a symbol of worship, of true worship to God. So who are we loyal to? To whom do we bow down to? Who are we faithful to? Letter A, is it to Christ? Or letter B, is it to the world? Is it to Christ? Is it to the world? It's one or the other. I guess I could put C in there and say, is it to Satan? Is it to the devil? But it comes one or the other. Is it to Christ or is it to the world? And I'm basing this subpoint based on the scripture in Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about you will love one or hate the other. What is the one and what is the other? It is God or money, mammon. Which one will you choose, God or the world? And we see Judas, he chose the world, the desires and the passions of this world. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot have two masters. You have one. You will love one and you will hate the other. Where do you stand? Be honest with yourself about this. Be truthful with yourself in your heart right now. You love one or the other. There is no middle ground. 1 Kings 18.21 Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? How long? You're just a spectator. Watching the spectacle of just staying in the middle, not choosing where you're standing. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. What was their answer? Nothing. They couldn't say anything. For grace was not operating in their life. They were already lost beyond hopeless. Lost beyond measure. Hopeless beyond hopelessness. Is it to Christ? Is it to the world? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 to 20. I'm ending with the scripture here for this point. Moses, he says to the people, See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands. Decrees and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, 
blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether we live in a time period of the New Testament or in the Old Testament, the principle and the fight is the same. You'll either be like the Magi's, the shepherds, who will bow down to the true King of Kings, or you will fake your bowing and pretend to worship the King of Kings. May we not, like Herod, worship Satan and pretending as if we're worshiping God himself. Point number three is this, who you kiss matters. Who you kiss matters. True victory is found in who you kiss. Now Judas kissed the world, the pleasures and the idols of this world. So with Judas, if you go to Luke chapter 22, verse 1 through 6, the title says, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So in verse 1, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So we see right here, he is playing with the idea of sin. So do not play with sin. Do not entertain sin, for it will kill you. Verse 5, they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Let's continue on. 47 to 48, chapter 22, Luke 22, the title says, Jesus arrested. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to what? Kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? John 6, verse 70, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Just like we've been chosen by grace, know that, that when we live in pride, when we live in arrogance, that we become part of the devil's plans. Yet one of you is a devil. Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Even though you could be among the chosen, be careful. There's an enemy out there to destroy you. And to bring you down. And we see here, Judas, he kisses Jesus with a kiss of betrayal. Mark 14, verse 43 to 45, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him, was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
just as Judas kissed Jesus with the kiss of betrayal, is a symbol of him kissing Satan. He already went and kissed Satan before he kissed Jesus. And while he was planning and scheming with the teachers of the law, with the Pharisees, and with the elders, and they had in mind to kill Jesus. So people in Elijah's time, they would kiss the image and the statue of Baal as a symbol of their worship to him. And this would be a common act for Baal worshipers. Now, on the flip side of that, there are men and women recorded in the Bible who love the Lord and kiss the Lord with humility and with reverence. We either kiss the world, we either kiss Satan, or we kiss the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there are godly individuals, broken individuals, hopeless individuals, and these individuals who kissed God, they loved him, and they did it with humility. Verse 18 of our main scripture, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed them. Now, let's understand what this kiss means. Let's all turn to Luke 7, verse 40 to 48. This is the proper way to kiss God, to kiss the king. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What did she do? She did not stop kissing the feet of Jesus. There's a complete contrast, a difference between what Judas did. Judas kisses the cheek of Jesus, where it's an intimate spot, just like Herod with the Magi's, where he looks like he's worshiping him. We could pretend to kiss Jesus on the face all we want and look as if we are Christians. But it could be a kiss of betrayal from behind in secret. You are kissing Satan. You have already gone in bed with Satan and have already made a deal with the world. But this woman with humility, understanding that her worth comes from grace and by grace alone. On her knees, she bows. And what does she do? She doesn't stop kissing where? His feet. Where it's considered the dirtiest part of the body during that time. She cannot stop kissing the feet of Jesus. 
And that act alone, that action alone shows her heart of who she kisses, who she bows down to, who she worships, and who she loves. We could look good all we want. Come to church, pray out loud, play in the praise team, look good. But in fact, we're like Judas. It's a kiss of betrayal. For you're already kissing Satan himself. You're kissing the world. So point A, B, C, D, E. Let's start with A. We kiss him because he loves us. B, we kiss him because he died for us. C, we kiss him because he forgave our debts. D, we kiss him because we love him. E, we greet God's people with a holy kiss. Where am I getting E from? I'll tell you. Every time I make these subpoints, points, look, it's not coming from my own opinion. I always reference it with scripture and I back it up with scripture. Five scripture, real quick. Starting with the first one, Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 26. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And lastly, 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Just like the woman here in Luke 7. Again. So point A, we kiss him because he loves us. B, we kiss him because he died for us. See, we kiss him because he forgave our debts. We kiss him because we love him. We greet God's people with a holy kiss. Amen. And amen. And as I'm closing with this, let me just quickly go over the title, the main points with the sub-points, victory after defeat. We cannot have a true taste of victory unless we have been defeated in life. You will not be perfect. You will never fully overcome on your own strength. Just remember this. It is by grace and by grace alone. So with that, starting with number one, victory in Christ is, was, and will always be by grace alone. It is through grace, faith, Humility, weaknesses, persecutions, difficulties, and insults. Number two, who you bow to matters. Who are you bowing down to? Is it to Christ, letter A? Or B, is it to the world? Lastly, point number three, who you kiss matters. Letter A, 
we kiss him because he loves us. B, we kiss him because he died for us. C, we kiss him because he forgave our debts. D, we kiss him because we love him. And E, now we are called to greet God's people with a holy kiss. Not just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love your neighbor as yourself. The commandments, the Ten Commandments, comes down to these two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor. To love your community. Amen. And amen. Life comes down to only two, two choices. Options. There's only one so, choice. Two options and only one answer. It is truly one or the other. What will you choose? Who will you bow down to? Who will you kiss? When you choose Christ, you will be victorious every time. And you will not lose, even in your quote-unquote defeat. Amen and amen. So with that truth, I want to invite you at this time in your own seat. If you could take a moment to reflect on today's message. And let's just have a moment of prayer where we give God thanks, where we place our trust in Him, and we rely on Him. And let's make sure that we look to Him, to the one who loves us, and to the one who died for us. Let's take a moment to pray with our own voices right now and to pray to the living God. Let's pray together. Place all of our hopes. Lay them down at the feet of Jesus.
lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way there in this place. Strengthen us. Lead us. Guide us. Help us to, to know you. Spirit, it's true. Let's all stand together, stand to our feet as I gaze upon the Lord my God. Ready? God, we thank you for your glory, the heaviness of your glory. We are consumed before your glory. 
thank you, Lord, now through your son, Jesus Christ, that we're able to see you face to face and to be known by you and to have a relationship with you. Lord, we cannot get to a place of salvation in our own merits, in our own strength, or how good we are as people. But simply, it is by grace and by grace alone. And God, the truth is that I am not the only one here fighting, but there are many others all around the world who are undergoing the same types of trials. So God, may we shift from a place of victimhood, of being defeated by our circumstances, but may we get up, pick ourselves back up, and run to you, Father. And understand that, God, that it is you that upholds us. It is you that strengthens us. May we give our all and our best to you. For, God, you are not interested in how we sound. But you are interested in the heart, in the heart of the worshiper. So, God, like David, may we be men and women who pursue after the heart of the Father. May we know the heart of the Father here today. Strengthen us, lead us, guide our steps. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And as it says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves to this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We make that decision today to serve you and to serve you only. We love you. We praise you. Give you all the glory and all the honor. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. God's people pray. Amen. And amen.
pray together. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And now, may the unending pursuit and the unending grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gentle whisper and the counsel and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that surpasses all the knowledge of this world continue to guide you, keep you, and protect you forevermore. And as God's people, we pray. Amen and amen.